Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast, where we celebrate stories and resilience. Today, we have Chelsea McClammer, who was the youngest track and field athlete in the Paralympics back in 2008. She was 14 years old, was a finalist in the 800 meters at 14 years old. She's a five, uh, been in the world championships five times, five medals in the world championships, two-time Paralympian, three medals in Rio. She was part of what was called the mix sweep, along with her teammates, Tatiana McFadden, Amanda McRory, Chelsea McClammer, the three of them swept the 1500 and the 5000. I've watched these races numerous times, Chelsea, and I have to admit, I still get teary eyed watching these races. So this is super cool. She also, after Rio, broke three world records, the 1500, the 800, or the 1500, the 5000, and the 400, which she still holds. She is headed to Tokyo. Chelsea, Congratulations and welcome. Thank you. Yeah, is that okay? Giving giving all your stuff up front there oh, is, yeah. is it enough to make you a little a little uh, self conscious or not? <laughs> well, I'm glad I don't have to like explain it all because I didn't write it down. <laughs> you might have to explain it all, but I have it. Don't worry, we'll go back to it. <laughs> Youngest Paralympian track and field Paralympian ever, 14. What were you doing? at 14 years old like what what was your life were you were you in were you a freshman were you in eighth grade what was going on in your life that then you showed up at the Paralympics um I was just finishing eighth grade and heading into high school <laughs> really so yeah. that was it and so so obviously you your you know your pursuits were were Paralympic sport and things like that but what else were you into? What else were you into as an eighth grader? Do you remember that far back? <laughs> um, I know my, I think my two favorite things were like gaming on the PC and Oreos. My interview after trials, um, the first question they asked me is, so what do you have to do now? What do you have to change this summer to prepare for the games? And I said, well, I guess I have to stop eating so many Oreos. <laughs> And, and did you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. They are still great, but <laughs> I had to quit that. <laughs> so this was the 14-year-old's diet book of like, okay, I'm going to the Paralympics. Stop eating Oreos. This is yeah. it. You'll look great. You'll perform great. You made it to the finals. So mm -hmm. everything <laughs> worked out apparently. <laughs> now, you also, so when you were in 2008, you were in what's called the T54 class. And the mm -hmm. T54, there are two paraplegic classes. The T54 is the more able of the two, where you have torso strength, where you have seated balance, where you can sit upright and, and, and those kinds of things. And you were in that class, but now you're completing, competing in the T53 class, which mm -hmm. is the, has less function. I'm assuming that you didn't have an accident in between. How did you go from the T54 to the T53 class? In 2010, I had a complete spinal fusion um, because I had scoliosis and it was getting too severe that it was life-threatening. So we decided to um, 
get it fused. I opted to not get my pelvis fused, which usually that is kind of, everybody gets like the pelvis and the entire spine. Um, and at 16 years old, I was like, no, I have this career ahead of me. I'm not gonna risk it with this surgery because that kind of makes it even harder to recover from. And world championships was that next year, like literally a year later I had to qualify for it. So I was like, I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> so um, then I had to get reclassified before world championships and then was classed down to T53 because, because of the spinal fusion, I lost a lot of my trunk function, like my ab function and my race chair and like my back extenders. So really it wasn't an accident, but it was, it was a surgery. And so you said scoliosis and, and do you know, do you know what they fused, which, which vertebrae they fused? Um, so I already had L1 to L3 fused and that was with steel. So then they replaced it with titanium and they did L3 to T4. Oh, wow. So they, they fused a lot of mm -hmm. interesting because L1 to L3, because L is really your, your sort of your, your bending vertebrae. Mm -hmm. And I know this because I actually went through the same thing I had. So what it was, it, uh, my accident was in 88 and in 2005, I had a scoliosis and kyphosis and they straightened mm -hmm. it out and did the same thing, but they, they basically were going lower for me. So okay. going into the L's and I think they just, they just fused L1 and L2 because he was trying to keep, you know, trying to give me that bend still, which yeah. is, so this is, so you actually, okay. So I was thinking as I was looking at this, that it was a, that it was a classification thing that you were just so young that you hadn't really been classified. And they said, oh, you're a T54, but it was actually from the fusion. How quickly did you come back from that surgery? You said world championships were the next year. Yeah. So <laughs> I was supposed to be on like a whole month of bed rest after the surgery. And then like four more months of no exercise. And then after that, I could do light exercise. Um, but I was feeling strong. I actually made sure that I was training up until the day before my surgery so that the recovery process would just be faster. Um, so I was feeling pretty good after the surgery. Um, once the kind of pain from it started going away and, um, I did maybe like four days of bed rest. And that was because I was still admitted in the hospital. And then as soon as I got out of the hospital, I was like, I have school. <laughs> I have to go back to school. I have to go back to classes. Um, and then it was maybe like a month after that, that I was like, I don't have time for this. I have to start training. <laughs> and then I started getting in my race chair and not just doing like the easy pushes. I was just like picking up the hardest workout and going for it. Um, and that was against everybody's advice, including my coaches at the time. So, um, I had a shoulder injury actually that set me back and I had to actually do the rest. And I think I had to take three months off after that. Um, but I just like trained my hardest and I decided that I just needed to stick to the shorter stuff. Um, so I qualified, I think just in the 200 for that world championships, but I did qualify. So I got to go to, um, New Zealand the year after that. Wow. So that's, yeah, I can imagine that your, your doctors really were not happy. I have a good friend who, who's an orthopedic surgeon and I was talking to him before my surgery. He actually had recommended me to my surgeon and, and he said, what's three months out of your life? This is, you, we can only do so much as surgeons 
you mm -hmm. are responsible for your recovery and it takes three months for bone to heal, but you totally bypass that, but you heal well, it, I assume. Mm -hmm. I do still struggle with that shoulder. Um, unfortunately, it'll sometimes flare up. So that's kind of something I'm probably gonna have to live with for a while. Um, so I don't know if it was the smartest idea, <laughs> but I was a very ambitious 16 year old. <laughs> So you're still 16 and, and Parasport Spokane is where you first started, right? Yeah. Which is what, two and a half hours from where you lived or two hours and 20 minutes? Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere around there, depending on traffic. <laughs> how, how did you make that work? Was this a weekend program that you would go and train with them or? Yeah. So they would get a train more throughout the week. Um, so I just had to train by myself, my high school track team. And that's what all the athletes were doing on the team. We were training with our high school track teams. Um, and then like my coach, Teresa Skinner would just send me workouts. Um, and which is why she wasn't able to supervise and make sure I wasn't training earlier than I should have been. <laughs> Sorry, Teresa. Um, so then every Friday, right after school, before I had my driver's license, my mom and I would get in the car and we would drive to Spokane. And I also played basketball at the time. So we would have like basketball practice and then we would drive back. And then during track season, um, we would drive, do basketball practice, stay the night and then do a track practice in the morning and then drive back right after that. Um, and then I made sure I got my driver's license the day I turned 16 so that I could start driving there myself. Um, so then I would just stay for like a whole weekend because I started cross-training um, swimming. So we would have basketball Friday night, track Saturday morning, and then swimming Sunday night. And then I would drive back at the end of the weekend. And you just stay with one of your friends or whatever while you were there? Yeah, one of my teammates, or I stayed with Teresa a lot too. She always opened up her home to me. So this is, most kids are trying to get their, get their driver's license for independence purposes. And it's kind of an independence purpose, but really it was more for sport for you. Yeah. I was like, I have to get to practice and my mom can't stay the whole weekend. Like she has mom things to do. <laughs> wow. Okay. So now, now we, we saw how you went from, from T54 to T53 you competed in 2008 as a 14-year-old, but then in 2012, as an 18-year-old, you didn't compete in London. So, so how, how did that happen? Um, so I think that was, I put too much pressure on myself. I was like, I qualified at 14. You know, I'm going to do every games until I retire. And then, um, yeah, it just kind of like all stacked up and I, was trying to focus on graduating from high school, having, you know, my friends spending time with them because all throughout high school, I'd miss like large chunks of school. And when I would be gone for like three weeks at a time, somebody would just be like, hey, where's Chelsea? And they would just be like, oh, she's probably out of track meet. She's probably in another country. Like, I don't know. Um, so it was just really hard. So um, yeah, I think just being in high school and trying to also be a kid <laughs> I just kind of like lost sight of it and I would imagine in some ways looking back on it 
that that was probably a good decision for you? Yeah, um, it wasn't really a decision because I did go to trials. I just didn't qualify. Um, but yes, it was it was good because it was a wake up call. I was going into college. I was going to have the same issues with wanting to make friends and keep my college friends as an adult. So I kind of had to learn that lesson that I need to balance my time between school, my social life, my sports, and then my hobbies. When did you know that you were going to go to the University of Illinois? Um, I knew when I was 14, actually. I met everyone, well, I did, obviously I wasn't accepted, but that was the goal. Um, in Beijing, I had goals of going to another college before, and then I got to Beijing, and like the entire Illinois team was there, and Adam Bleakney, the coach, and so I started meeting everybody while I was there, and I was like, this is incredible. This is a great team. Like, I need to go here. I need to train with them. And so that was my goal from that point on. I bought sweatshirts. I bought everything. And it's the only school I applied to. <laughs> and Adam was on board. And so Adam was the coach then. Adam's been the coach since 2008, right? Is that is that right? Sounds, cool. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> he was also an athlete. He was, I mean, he's still an athlete, but he, um, competed at the games then too. He did, exactly. So you knew that you were going to Illinois. How did how did that work? How did that process like a recruiting process or or was, you know, did you just kind of say, hey Adam, I'm coming here. Uh, this is yeah, this is what's gonna happen. Pretty much. <laughs> I kind of um, felt recruited ever since the games in 2008. And then I would see everybody at all the other meets and it was just kind of like assumed that I would go there. Um, and a lot of people, if, you know, they want to excel in racing and go to college, like Illinois is the place to be. So at this point, it's kind of just like assumed that like, if you are a successful racer that wants to continue being a successful racer, and you also want to get a really good education, um, that you're going to apply to Illinois. So I think Adam just kind of like saw that he was just like, oh, okay, she'll be here in the fall. Was it what you expected it would be when you went to Illinois? Oh, yeah. I remember um, I was asking Susanna Scaroni, because um, she was a couple of years older than me and was already at Illinois, if the workouts are like as hard as I think they are. If like every day she's just exhausted. And she was like, I'll tell you, there's some days where the best goal is to just finish the workout <laughs> like you just have to get through it but it is possible it is doable and I was like okay <laughs> so um yeah and the university was great being a student here was really awesome so yeah it was definitely a great college experience what was that like being able to juggle workouts where you're just making it to the end of the workout mm -hmm. but then you have to go back to your dorm room and go study <laughs> yeah. how did that work uh it was a huge challenge and i also took on wheelchair basketball at the same time um that didn't last long i could only compete with in wheelchair basketball for like a year and a half like three semesters before i had to just call it quits because i wasn't improving in either sport 
and my grades weren't doing well. So I was like, we need to prioritize here. Um, so it was, I don't know how I did it, honestly, being a student athlete was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, it was really tough having to do the really hard workouts in the morning, whether it's track or basketball, and then going to class and studying and getting in a second workout most days. Um, and then trying to have a social life. <laughs> yeah. Now you also, you, but you, but you haven't stopped being a student, right? I mean, you, you, you have your master's, you're, you're go, applying for your doctorate in occupational therapy, right? So, so I don't have my master's. Oh, you don't? Um, okay. No, I'm just, my program turned into a doctorate um, because I was waiting until after Tokyo to apply. Um, and it used to be a master's program. And then um, they switched it up and I was too late because like I wasn't able to get grandfathered into the master's part of it um, because the games were delayed. So now it's a doctorate. <laughs> so I'm just going straight from my bachelor's to that if I get accepted, I'm still hoping. Okay, okay. Now, so, so you had the disappointment of 2012 and then you went to you went to Illinois. So I'd imagine, I mean, other than you had trouble juggling your schedule, but at some point you started to you started to improve again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got an academic coach and he he really helped me. I thought I was doing okay balancing um, my athletics and my school and everything. Um, but then I was getting stomach ulcers. <laughs> so by the end of my sophomore year, I was like, okay, I need to talk to someone. So I started working with an ac academic coach and he um, kind of helped me set out my priorities. Um, and so I was really pleased with that. In 2014, that was world championships in Lyon, France. Um, that was when I got my first world championship medal. And that was in the 200 meter. So it was perfect timing that I was able to kind of sort out my priorities and uh, make sure I was focus focusing on the right things. And, and then by 2016 though, I mean, 2016, your first Paralympic medals, right? So 400 meters, mm -hmm. but then, which, which had to be great. Cause that was you. I mean, that was, they were all individual, but to a certain extent, the other two were a bit of a team kind of thing. Yeah. with the 1500 and the 5000 was the 15 to the 100 and the 5000 preceded the 400 in the schedule though right um no so the 400 was first oh the 400 was first okay yeah so that was that was pretty essential that i got that medal in the 400 first um because i was able to like prove to myself that i could do it so that's what gave me the confidence to be able to want to work with the girls for the 1500 and the 5000. I felt comfortable with myself that I could pull out a kick at the end um, and make sure that we got the sweep. <laughs> so the, so for those who don't know the 400, Chelsea was racing in her class as a T53. So, so and then and in the 1500 and the 5000, it's open where you're with all the T54s as well. So, so it's, it's a more challenging field oftentimes in in the 1500 and the 5,000. 
does one does one medal stand above the others in in your mind is the 400 more important because it was first or how do how do they how do they stack up um i don't know they all like hold a special place in my heart because the 400 i was actually going to stop doing the 400 i was like i'm terrible at starts i've always been bad at starts um except in France somehow I had a really good start and I got that medal in the 200 um but then I stopped doing those shorter ones but I was like this is it this is the last time I'm doing a 400 um and then that was also I had a BMW sponsorship at the time mm -hmm. um so they had created race chairs for their high performance team um and that was the first time that I was able to race with it on the track we actually received the race chair like a week before we left for Rio. Um, so I quickly adjust to it. And luckily I was able to, they built it so well that I just hopped straight from my chair that I had for four years right into the BMW and it was perfect. Um, so that- That's impressive. You know, that does not happen very often. Yeah, you know, I know a lot of athletes are kind of like going back and forth between their normal chair or their, their previous chair that they've gotten used to and the BMW. Um, but I was really fortunate that they just built it perfectly to me. Wow. Um, yeah. So after I won that medal in the 400, I was so excited because I was like, I did this by myself. This was like, no one, I wasn't drafting with anybody. I wasn't working with a teammate. And, um, I also did it in this BMW race chair and like the whole team was sitting up there in the stands. And <laughs> so I was just like really excited. <laughs> it was like a USA medal, but it was also like my sponsorship medal kind of thing so yeah totally and you've arrived at that point you won your first paralympic medal with a big sponsor with a brand new chair and yeah. on your own yeah i was just um saying the other day that was kind of the moment that i felt like you know like i truly earned it <laughs> well like you'd arrived to a certain i mean you won this this 200 meter at the world championship but won a medal in the 200 meters but not but, but Paralympics is, is a little bit different, right? Because world championships, you don't always have a completely full field where right. pretty much everybody's going to come to the Paralympics and yeah. everybody's going to be ready yeah, for the Paralympics. What were you thinking heading into the 1500 and the 5,000? Which one of those was first? Um, I believe the 1500 was first. I want to say it was the 1500 because that's the one that I got the bronze in and then I was pleased to get the silver afterwards. I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure it was the 1500 was next. Um, and we had, we were working so well together at practice. Um, like the whole team was, but since we were the ones that had qualified for that race, um, we got the start rights for it. Amanda Todd and I were just like working on so many strategy things at practice and drafting things over speed. Um, and we were really excited during the last practice before we all left for Rio because we we had run like a world record time in the 1500. And we were like, that was a world record. Like we all just went under it on our practice track, which wasn't even that fast. Um, so we were feeling really good about it. And then we got to Rio and that's when we really started talking about strategy um, with Adam and we had, developed like not a whole strategy for the entire race because it can fall apart so quickly in those races with all the different variables and everybody doing their own thing. Um, 
but somehow we pulled off like two parts of our strategy that we wanted to. Um, and it was really nice just knowing that I could pull my own and that I could be there with them and help them earn that, earn that sweep. <laughs> See, that's interesting. Cause I've talked to Amanda as well. And Amanda basically said that it didn't work the way that they, <laughs> the way that you planned. I said like two parts worked. <laughs> two parts out of three worked. Okay. There was a lot of parts that we, that we were going to try. Um, and I mean, again, there's so many variables that it's, it's hard to get it to work perfectly, but when two of those things come together, it seems like it was enough. <laughs> but you ended up in a, in a strong position as well. I mean, Tatiana, Tatiana went off the front in the, in the beginning, right? And then, mm -hmm. but then you guys caught up, but one of the things that you did that was really interesting too, and it'll be interesting sort of looking at this next games too, right? Because in the last hundred meters, Tatiana's in front and then, and then Amanda's in front of you and Amanda kind of comes out into lane two, you come out into lane three, mm -hmm. effectively, like all preparing for your sprint and Manuela, who, who sort of after Tatiana had her blood clots really sort of filled that void and became kind of the top woman in the world was behind you. And it looked like coming off the turn that she had a chance, that she had a thought of, okay, I can go around these guys and it can work out. But as you fanned out, mm -hmm. she, she looked like she was just stuck. Like she, she couldn't do it all the way in four and came back inside and it effectively like, like yeah. sort of ended her, which not only did that happen in the 15, it really effectively happened in the 5,000 as well. So twice in a row, I'd imagine she probably feels like she owes you guys something now. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> um, and I love Manuela. Obviously we didn't know who was behind us, um, but that was, part of the strategy was to own our lanes, you know, like we just had to pick a lane and hold it um, all the way to the finish. And I'm glad that part worked out. <laughs> I'm hoping that even if um, someone was able to come to the side of us, we would still be able to out sprint them. I think we're all feeling pretty good by the end of the race too. Pretty good and pretty strong. And so you reached the finish line. Tatiana's in front of you, Amanda's in front of you, but nobody else is in front of you. Mm -hmm. What did that, what did that feel like? Um, it kind of felt like a track practice again. Like we were just doing our own thing, doing our sprint at the end and all finishing close to each other. Um, and I remember I was just like, oh my God, we did it. Like I said that out loud, I like yelled it. <laughs> Um, and then I remember the end of the 5,000, the same thing. We were like, oh my God, we did it again. <laughs> and I think we actually like laughed a little at that. We were just like, I can't believe it. <laughs> because you were just so surprised that it yeah. actually worked the way you knew that you had the ability to do it because you went subworld record mm -hmm. on your practice track, which is probably also super windy too, because it generally seems like it's windy there. And in, in Illinois. And, and so, so you, you, you knew you had the speed, but taking that speed and transferring it to the Paralympic track and, and putting yourselves in with all the best women in the world, mm -hmm. 
was it just that was it was it a surprise was it a relief what was the are you just like did this really happen <laughs> yeah um the first time it was definitely during the 15 was definitely a surprise because we were we were just blown away that we were racing as well as we thought we were while we were training we were just like wow like we actually are here we did that um and then after the 5000 well, even before the 5,000, we were like, everybody's expecting it now. They know that we can work together. They know that we can use these strategies. Um, no, there's no way they're gonna let us do it again. And obviously they didn't let us, everybody worked really hard in that race. And it's a long race. It, I mean, everybody's just exhausted at the end. Um, you did a lot of work. You were at the front for a lot of the 5,000. Yeah, that was kind of a mistake. I should have came back. I think about that a lot and I'm like, uh, why was I sitting at the front for so long? Um, but I just thought I was like controlling the race. I was like, they can't separate us if one of us is already in the front. <laughs> so anyway, um, we finished that race and we're just like, that's unbelievable. Like how, how did we do it again when everyone expected it? Um, and we just, we owed that all to our training. To your training, what did what did Adam say to you? So Adam Blakeney, who's your who's your coach, um, helped you with the strategy. You win the fifty, you go one, two, three in the fifteen hundred. What does he say to you after that? Because he's watching it and he yeah. knows what's going on, and in some ways probably knows more than you guys know, right? Mm -hmm. What did he say? Um, he said the same thing he says to me after every practice. He gives me a pat on the shoulder. He says, "Good job, Hammer." Hammer's my nickname on the team. <laughs> and so, and so that's the extent of it. Good job, Hammer. Yep. And yep. He, I mean, like act like we've been there, you know, <laughs> it was like, I have other athletes and I, he was confident that we would do it. So I think that's part of it. Did that give you more confidence? I mean, one winning, but then Adam kind of giving you the, Good job, Hammer. Nothing surprising. You know, he's not he's not going over the moon about this whole thing. Did that give you more confidence going into the 5,000? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it's just like at the end of every practice when he says it, it's just like, I did just as well today as I did yesterday, even if it didn't feel as good. Like, it just kind of instills that confidence for the next one. And And in some ways, it seems like you did your job. You did what you were supposed to do and good job. You did your job. Is that kind of what you took away from it as well? Yeah. <laughs> and guess what? You're going to get to do your job again in yeah. a day or so. Yeah. Wow. No, this is, I mean, it's one of the pinnacle moments in the Paralympics, I think. I mean, just amazing that you guys were able to, to sweep it. And from the outside, it looked relatively easy. I'm sure it wasn't that easy when you were doing it, but it looked relatively easy from the outside. It just looked like it worked, like you guys were in charge. And and as, as really more of a sprinter, I was watching it sort of jealously going, wow, that looks so cool to be in that kind of a race and be in charge of the pack and, and make it to the finish. And so it was it was absolutely spectacular but you're not running the 1500 or the 5,000 mm -mm. in Tokyo. Mm -mm. So, so why, why after such an amazing event, why are you not running 
those events for which you're you're kind of known now yeah um honestly it's just been kind of a rough couple of years for training for me and I can't say that it had anything to do with COVID I know that it had hit everybody really hard but in terms of training I was able to we still were able to go out on the road every morning um when everything was shut down we just had like our select groups and those were like our bubble people. Um, so we got to train every day. We did like our home workouts. Um, we did push-ups on mixing bowls and pots. <laughs> so we were able to adapt that way. Um, so I can't say it has anything to do with COVID. It's just, I just kind of, I don't know. I had a couple injuries, um, a couple of overuse injuries. And I think I didn't do as well as I wanted to in Dubai and world championships um, in 2019. So I think I just kind of had like lost focus over the year, um, thinking that I had to improve in some areas where I didn't have to improve. Um, so I focused on the wrong things and that's kind of how you get an overuse injury. Um, so it's really more of the injuries that have pushed you to, to the short events, which are back in your class as well. Yeah. So I just, I couldn't put in the miles that I wanted to this year. Um, so I was, I finally talked to Adam about it and I was like, okay, I think we just need to prioritize um, some sprinting. I need to work on my starts. I've always needed to work on my starts, but um, I was like, I think the shorter stuff is going to be um, where I'm at this year, which I'm totally okay with because now I love the 400. <laughs> I wanted to quit a few years ago and now I'm like, it's one of my favorite races. Um, Hold on, but you all, you also are the world record holder in the 400. Yeah, yeah. That so makes it a little that. harder to quit, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have to try to defend it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we had a track meet in Switzerland, um, a couple of weeks before trials and I did compete in everything in all of my events, the 400, 800, 15 and 5,000. And I only, the first 5,000 was raining really hard. Um, and I lost the pack and I was like, well, I'm not going to do this race by myself right now. Like it's raining or cold. I'm not going to risk an injury for the next one. Cause it was like the first event or something. Um, so I dropped out of that 5,000 about halfway through. And then I did another one at the next meet um, because Switzerland split their meets into two. So the second one was at like the fastest track in the world in Arbonne. And um, I got dropped from the group and then I got lapped. <laughs> and I finished that one because I was like, it's not raining. I'm just not pushing well. And so I was like, cool, we're getting lapped in a 5,000. I think I'm gonna not do that one at trial. <laughs> So I scratched that event and I was like, we're just going to focus on the shorter ones. <laughs> you went from being second in the world in, in Rio. Yeah. And then getting lapped on this super fast track as well, track. which often, yeah. Yeah. The same track that I set the world record in, in 2017 <laughs> for that event. <laughs> then I get lapped. So the mental side of it takes a a fairly decent blow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how did you, how, how do you come back from that? What do you, what do you tell yourself? How do you start building back? Because your confidence is such a huge part of your success as well, right? 
Yeah. Um, I'm pretty good at like rolling with the punches. I've had bad races. I've had to drop out of like marathons for various reasons. Um, so I kind of just have to keep it in perspective and, and know that I'm still successful in other things and try to be humble. <laughs> well, it's probably always a good idea to be humble, right? <laughs> stay humble. It's a good way to approach your life. You won't get knocked too far down if you stay humble. Yeah. But you're able to just, just wash your hands of the 5,000 and say, okay, that's it. But you still, you still had some, some thoughts at the trials of, of the 1500, right. Of, of trying to recreate that. And, and in some ways it's like, you kind of hope things come together as well. Right. At trials. Yeah. Um, um, that one work out. So I was feeling really good in the 1500. Um, my start was pretty good. I got into a good spot in the race. Um, actually one of the girls from my old team from Parisport. Um, she had let me into the draft um, because I was out in lane two and everybody was already lined up about 200 meters in. And she was like, hey, do you want in? And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it was awesome. Um, so big shout out to Hannah. That was incredible. Um, so anyway, I, I felt good. I know that the 1500 is, you know, it's still like almost four laps, but it's um, it's not as taxing as the 5,000. And I know that I had enough endurance for that race, um, but I just didn't have the sprint at the end, the kick finish, um, which was disappointing because I need that obviously for the events that I'm going to do in Tokyo, but it gave me a good opportunity to like really see what I need to work on. And yeah, so I'm okay with it, but I would have liked to do it. <laughs> With two plus months in between trials and and the games. So so to shape a lot of stuff. So in your 400, like your 400 in Rio, you you ended up second, but you you came from way back. I mean, it was just it was impressive. Like your your last hundred meters of the 400 is absolutely spectacular. Mm -hmm. It's just, I mean, you look amazing and just are reeling people in. Is, is it scary to approach a race in that way where you're like, okay, I know it's to the finish line, but I've got to make up a lot of space, a lot of distance between here and there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that was kind of one of my special skills back then um, was a, like being able to bridge that gap. And that's only because my start is so terrible that that's how I need to get in with the pack is to just like try to get up to speed and then bridge the gap as quickly as possible. Um, so training for those distance events definitely translated over to um, that 400 meter in Rio. Um, but that is one of the skills that I have definitely been working on since trials is trying to get my um, acceleration quick again. Your acceleration from so up to max speed kind of thing from yeah. like in that last hundred meters because that was that was super impressive. I mean, one you can say it's scary, and two you can say it's just flat out impressive. I mean, just like it was because I mean, 
for anybody who's run a 400 coming off of that fourth turn, it's like that hundred, that last hundred meters looks like as long as the rest of the race or possibly yeah. longer and seems like it's uphill into the wind and and your arms have gone so numb that you feel like you're not coordinated anymore, but that's where you are strong. And so it's just so impressive to watch that. And so you're trying to, you're trying to get that back. Mm-hmm. How about the starts? What are you, what are you doing on your starts? Because 400 and 800, 800, so much of your positioning too, right? Is, is your start. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, the best thing I could do for starts is just do them over and over and over again. So that's what we've been doing. Uh, we've been doing some different variations of starts on flats, on downhills, on uphills, um, different stroke lengths and everything, and just really focusing on it. <laughs> is, is it working? Do you, are you feeling better in your start? I honestly don't know. <laughs> I don't usually know how I'm doing until um, I get to a competition. So um, I am really looking forward to Tokyo and just seeing how it goes. Um, I have one of the other things that I like about competitions is um, I get a lot of adrenaline from it and not in like the bad way, but sorry. Um, It's the adrenaline of competition really benefits me. Um, So I'm training and things are translating, but I never actually see it until we get there. Really? So, mm-hmm. so it's kind of, I mean, you've done a lot of work and you do have the ability to sort of compare yourself to other people. You've been on the track with, with your teammates and luckily mm-hmm. you have some really talented, successful teammates as well. Yeah. So, so that kind of has to help the perspective a little bit of like, okay, I think I'm in okay shape because because I'm with them, but mm-hmm. it's the adrenaline of racing that really, really yeah. gets you going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I don't get nerves when I race. I don't get like sweaty hands. I don't, you know, I don't have any of that. It's just um, I'm totally calm until the gun goes off, and then I don't know where it comes from, but <laughs> I've. I'm definitely known to compete better than I train. Uh, interesting. Now, I'm going to go back to 2008, and I don't remember if it was if it was Teresa, your coach, or if it was your mother, who was saying that they were concerned about this 14-year-old girl being in the finals. Mm-hmm. And then they panned to you, and you're just sitting there, just smiling, <laughs> <laughs> and, and she was like, "Yeah, I, she'll be fine." It's yeah. All good. yeah, that was Teresa. Um, during the prelim, there was like almost no one in the stands. Maybe, I mean, I say almost no one. There was probably still like 20,000 people in the stands that day, um, but it seats 90,000. And so, and it's a morning event, the prelim was. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't as loud. It, the lights weren't on. Um, so I was like pretty calm during that. And then the night of the final, it was sold out. So there was 90,000 people in the stands and it was just so loud. Um, and she didn't tell me that she was concerned about it until after the race, but yep. I just like, I knew the camera would be on me because then they announced everybody in the line during the final. 
And so I was like thinking before the race, I was like, what am I going to do when the camera's in my face? I've never had that before. <laughs> so being a 14 year old, I thought it'd be fun to kiss my glove and then wait. <laughs> so that's what I did. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was just excited. There was, there was definitely no nerves during that race. Wow, that is absolutely amazing. As a young kid, it's almost like it's almost like you don't know what you don't know and you just show up and go, oh, this is cool. People are clapping and there are a lot of people and I'll kiss my gloves. And mm -hmm. did that did that set the standard moving forward where you kind of feel like in some ways like that 14 year old girl of like, oh, we're here and we're racing and it's fun and that's what I'm going to do because this is mentally, this is a hard thing mm -hmm. for a lot of athletes to manage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. I've told myself since I was 14, I was like, if like, this is for fun, I'm doing all this for fun. The day I'm not having fun anymore, like we're done. <laughs> so that's what I tell myself before every competition. I'm like, if, if I even feel a little bit nervous or like, um, a little bit like upset about something, I'm like, Hey, why are we doing this? <laughs> we are doing this for fun. <laughs> interesting so that internal inter dialogue it's not a, it's not a monologue it's more of a dialogue right yeah you're like this is this is what we're doing we're going to have fun yeah and and so so that seems like that's where you're approaching tokyo as well is like we're having fun coming off some injuries trying to figure out whether i start the lights go on you go on mm -hmm. is is that kind of kind of the way you feel yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I hope I go on when the lights go on, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I am right now just really pleased to have made the team um, and still have this opportunity to keep training this summer towards um, the games. So I think, I think when I get there, maybe I'll kind of get a little more serious and be like, okay, <laughs> we really have to we have to do it. Um, but right now I'm still just like very happy that I, that I qualified this year because there was a couple of times where I was like, it's not looking good. <laughs> so you're in, and then this is the fun part. You get to go to the games, you get to do what you'd really like to do. Who are, who's your competition? Who are you looking at right now? And it's a weird time, right? Coming off of COVID too. Yeah. Yeah. So all I can say is what I, I saw like at Switzerland. Um, so Sammy Kinghorn on the Great Britain team, she is doing incredible right now. So is Kathleen Debrunner from Switzerland. Um, they are absolutely killing it. So I had no chance against them in Switzerland. Um, so they, they're the two big ones, um, but then there's also, I'm sure Angie Ballard is doing the 400. I haven't um, looked into what events she's doing. Um, from Australia, right? Yeah, from Australia, sorry. Um, and then there's also Hamid, I can't remember her last name. Um, she's from Turkey. From Turkey, right. Yeah. And, and then she's incredible for the How about the Chinese woman, the uh, Zhu Hong Zong? Yep, yep. I think there's... Is there just the one girl from China? I think there's two of them. I recall well, there are two because who's uh, Zhu 
Hong Zhuan is the one who who's, who's generally better in, in sort of like 400 and longer. And then uh, I'm trying to remember the, the other woman's name who, who won the 100 meter yeah. in Rio and starts really well. Like yeah. even in the 800 will start really well. And then the Chinese can actually work together. So you've got that as a potential tactic to try to counteract. Right. Uh, and then, and then obviously you, you have Madison, I would imagine as well. Um, she did not do the 400 in Rio. So I'm not sure if she's doing it in Tokyo. Okay. Um, if she is, she's another one to worry about. And then obviously my own teammates too. So right. Ian and Kelsey, um, right. and Kelsey will be doing the 400. She won't be doing the 800, but I'll have Ian in the 800. Okay. Um, and they're pushing we really well and I'm pushing with them every day. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> here so we go. You know how they are. They know yeah. how you are. This is, and, and so 400 and 800, you'll, you'll do both of them, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, this is gonna be, it's gonna be fun to watch. Now you've been doing some other things in addition to, cause you did, you did say, you know, sometimes finding that life balance is the challenge, but you also seem like you wanna do a whole lot of things. So what's going on with the hot sauce? Um, so my partner and I are trying to start a hot sauce business. Um, during COVID, when everything got shut down initially, um, we were doing a lot of cooking at home. We would do like our grocery store haul and then, you know, hopefully have food for like 10-ish days before we ran out of something. Um, and we were making like this sauce that we were putting in all of our dishes and we like spicy food a lot. Um, so we were just like trying out different things and we like Thai food a lot. So our hot sauce is Thai inspired. Um, and so we finally settled on this like one recipe and we're just like, this is so good. Like we just want to put it on everything. And then we were thinking about it and we're like, other people would also love this. Like they should want to put this on everything. And then we were like, well, how do we share it? And we're like, why don't we start a hot sauce business? We started watching um hot ones on youtube and it's that guy that um does well, you might have to describe it because people might not know what it is i know what it is yeah yeah so um this guy does celebrity interviews and he has this whole line of hot sauces and he coats them like coats all these wings with hot sauces and then they just sit there and they chat and they eat wings and like the scale the scoville hotness scale just goes up as they go down the line um, and he actually graduated from University of Illinois. And so we were just like, hey, it'd be really cool like if he would want our hot sauce on his show. <laughs> so that's one of the big goals is to see. Well, he's gotta have you on his show. He's gotta bring you on to do the to do the experience and interview you. Yeah, I always see that. I'm like, these celebrities, they're a weak fan. I could totally handle these wings. The last one is like insane. And I know that because um, for Christmas a couple of years ago, I bought my boyfriend a box of like the key hot sauces. And one of, one of them was the last dab, which is like the hottest sauce on the show. Um, and we like, we could barely handle it. So I think that one I would struggle with a little bit, but all the other ones, I'm just like, oh, that would just be like the most fun thing. Um, so anyway. Now, barely handling it. What is that? What does barely handling it look like? What does it feel like? I mean, is it like throat closing, sweating profusely? How, how does this end up working out for you? Um, my tongue just hurts a lot. Like it feels like 
it doesn't feel like it's swelling. It just feels like it's bigger than it should be. I'm just like, it's the only thing I can think about is how much it hurts. Um, but then it goes away. I mean, within like three minutes. <laughs> within three minutes, really, because hot sauce is often cumulative where mm -hmm. you take that first little bit and you think, oh, okay, this isn't too bad. And then the next one is a little bit worse and a little bit worse. But it goes away for in three minutes for you. You sound like you have a like a superpower here. <laughs> I I wish I did. I um was recently watching a show on Netflix about um I think it's called We Are the Champions or something. And one of them was like the champion of this hot or this hot pepper eating competition. And I was the beginning of the show. I was like, I could totally do this. I should go down there and do this. And then they get to like the end. And like these big dudes are dying, and I'm like, oh, never mind. <laughs> That's a bad idea. They're dying. This is this is serious. <laughs> they're, I mean, <laughs> that was an exaggeration. Okay, okay. Right. They're in serious pain. <laughs> serious pain. But just because they're bigger doesn't mean that they can handle hot sauce better than you can. <laughs> I just think that they would eat more of it in their lifetime. They would make it a job. <laughs> Mine is just like one of my hobbies is to eat the spiciest food I can find. <laughs> now, are you allowed to tell me what goes into your hot sauce? Um, all you don't I have to say, give away the whole secret or anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I can only say that the the pepper is Thai chilies. Thai chilies. Okay. Yeah. Thai chilies, which is which is a really hot pepper. Yeah. We I don't know the Scovilles on it. Um, we have to send it in. Um, we have to get like the labels and there's so many things that goes into producing a hot sauce, um, for selling for commercial purposes. But, um, yeah, so they will also tell us the Scovilles on the sauce. On the sauce. And do you go with dried Thai peppers or Thai chilies or, or are you going with the, with the real? Yeah. yeah. With the fresh okay. ones. The fresh ones, which are, which are probably hotter than the dried yeah. ones. And they taste better for sure. And they taste better too. Yeah, it's a really yummy sauce. <laughs> well, I'm excited to try it. You did tell us before you came on that that you'd send us a bottle. So, uh, so I'm excited to try it. These things are I I like I like hot stuff. Hot sauce seems like one of those things that you're not supposed to brag about mm. because you're like, oh yeah, no, I I love hot sauce. Everything's great, and and then you get to the one that totally just is your kryptonite, right? Yeah. <laughs> But I enjoy hot food. I do. I do enjoy, enjoy it. What do your teammates think about your hot sauce? Do you, do you have fans on the on the team? Um, so we have given it to our athletic trainer. Um, and he says it's good. He says that it tastes very fresh. Um, but I, so I didn't think that batch was very hot because we were still tweaking a couple things. And then he tried it and he was like, it's really hot. So <laughs> um, I don't know how he feels about that level of spice, but um, anyway, and then we also gave it to Adam, our coach, and he absolutely loves it. And we made um, a peanut variation of it, which he loves even more. So I guess we might have to release two at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, but he said that he had to put it on his eggs in the morning. One day he tried it with like his spaghetti, which I don't think that sounds right, but I mean, <laughs> If it's not good, then that's great. Um, Who are you to tell Adam he's wrong too, right? right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so 
yeah, um, so far the people that we have had try it do like it, so. Adam seems like he could be one of those guys who could just take like the hottest thing because he's got such the, the poker face. Yeah, he'd be very calm about it. He'd be like, hmm, yeah. Yeah, that I'd was, like to see him on that's really, that's really hot. That's yeah. really, you know, just, and you're like, you don't seem like you're, you're showing any, any, any signs of it being really hot. I said, no, no, it's, it's really hot. It's really hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would be good. So, so any, any of your other teammates have, so, so Adam and your trainer, so you've just gone, you've just gone on the administrative side. You haven't actually shared it with the people who yeah. race with you. So I cannot remember. I will have to ask my boyfriend um, who else we've given it to. I know a couple of my teammates don't love super spicy things. So um, it's definitely one of those things that you appreciate more if you love spice, if you love the experience of spice. So um, I'll have to ask him, but I'm hoping my teammates will love it. And the peanut version, maybe they'll like too, because I know a lot of them love peanut butter. <laughs> Yes. So it's a bit of a bummer for you in some ways with, with Tokyo that you're going over there and you're not able to do as much as you would do, right? Because, because of COVID, they're not allowing fans because you probably, you, you'll essentially be, you know, in the, in the village the whole time. You won't get a chance because I mean, with, you know, with wasabi, with, with a variety of other things, like this yeah. could be heaven for you to go around to go around Tokyo and sample some new spices and bring some bring some things home. Would do you think you'll get any chance to do that? No, but we have been told that we cannot leave the village um, other than to go to the venues. So it's just like a closed system. Um, so they did say that they're thinking of setting up like a like a Grubhub food delivery pickup area. Um, and one of the things I really want to do while I'm there is to eat really good ramen um, at least once. So I hope they do that because I would love to get something like that delivered. Um, but our original plan before COVID was to go to Tokyo, um, stay a little while, check things out, go over to Thailand, do some like street food stuff there, go to South Korea, go to Laos because I really love Laotian food and um, they have some of the hottest food in the world. Um, so anyway, it is a, a disappointment that we can't go see more of the world after this. It won't really feel like we're in Tokyo, unfortunately. Um, but this will be over eventually and then we can start traveling again. So it's still on the bucket list. <laughs> okay. You will, you'll just have to, you'll just have to go back and maybe you, maybe you can make some friends with some of the, you know, whether they're officials or athletes or whatever to go. Hey, can yeah. you get me something hot here? Can you? Yeah. <laughs> I must have a heartburn problem though. So maybe I shouldn't be eating spicy food at a competition. <laughs> well, yeah, and that, I guess that's a problem too. Cause then, <laughs> then you also, you're not really supposed to bring it back to the country just with customs and things like that. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, you're kind of, you're kind of, you're, you're going to have to go back. <laughs> I think is what it comes down to. Luckily, World Championships next year is in Japan. So maybe okay. things will be better then. <laughs> okay. So you are all set. Well, Chelsea, this is this is absolutely awesome. It's great to connect with you to go from Oreos to Thai to Thai chili. This is <laughs> this is a great conversation. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yep.
Thank you. I love talking about food. So it's been fun. <laughs> There was a there was a bit of racing in there, I think, as well. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I will be waiting, uh, you know, bated breath kind of thing to see if you've if you've picked up a start in in the last couple of months to see how that works in the four hundred and in the eight hundred mm -hmm. to get in position and be able to use that. Just I mean, you just have this amazing overspeed gear, that mm -hmm. uh, I, I hope that that I hope that that works out. So thank you for joining us and. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. So thank you. And thank you to all of you for joining us. We really appreciate it. As usual, if you didn't have a chance to see the whole thing, you can go to the One Revolution page and you can see our whole interview with Chelsea. Hopefully she'll get on hot things at some point too and uh, and be able to really show off her, her tremendous pepper eating skills. Yeah. But go check that out. And then, and then this will eventually be a podcast. So go to YouTube, go to Apple, go to Spotify, go to all the usual suspects. As usual, our biggest, the biggest compliment you can pay us is to tell your friends. Tell your friends that this is a great time to tune in, like us, uh, follow us, and we will continue to bring you great content where you will learn about amazing people and what they do. So thanks so much. And thanks, Chelsea. Have a great time.